Tuesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and you are tuned into Nerd Initiative's YouTube channel, and that can only mean one thing. It is time for another edition of the Nerd Initiative Comic Department team, aka the Nerd Initiative Bullpen, bringing you Turn a Page. And for this edition, we have something special for you. A guest is gracing us with his presence to talk about a fantastic new book that you need in your collection that is dropping this week. So sit back, relax, make yourself comfy, and let's get ready to turn a page. Welcome to Turn a Page, the official comic book club for Nerd Initiative. Each week, the NI Bullpen will be covering the world of comics, talking to creators, deep diving into some fantastic stories, and much more. Now let's hand it over to the team and turn a page. What is going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. You know me as the host of the ODPH podcast, but I'm also Nerd Initiative's Comics Editor-in-Chief, to my left, your right, I don't even try doing this intro. Coming at you live and direct, straight from a folding chair in the ODPH studio. My name is Off the Cuff Tom, your pop culture connoisseur, and it's always a pleasure to be here, Ken, and the Nerd Initiative. Yes, and joining us is our good friend. You know him as the uh, one half of the dynamic duo that brings you the pop culture news you need with a beverage to go along with it. It is the one and only Matt from Hops Geeks News. Matt, what's going on? What's up, guys? I it's really hard to follow Tom every time. He just gets me really amped up and excited. And then, of course, getting to sit across from uh, David once again. It's it's a great time to be back, man. It's always a great time to turn a page. Absolutely. And joining us for the first time from the Nerd Initiative bullpen, you also know him from the Panel of the Panel podcast. It's the one and only Marty Stoked. Marty, what's going on? What's going on, guys? Really appreciate you having me here to uh, crash this party. Happy to be uh, have the time finally to get on this show. Oh, absolutely. And like I said in the intro, we have a very special guest joining us because this coming week from Matt Cave Studios is a book that is perfect for the Halloween season. It is perfect any time of year round. It is one that definitely caught our attention, and we have been excited to talk about it. Because trust me, when you pick this up this week, and you have to, I'm going to give away a little spoiler. This is our pick of the week. All around the table. All around oh, the yeah. table of what to go pick up. It is the devil that wears my face. And we are lucky to have the writer of this story on the show. But you also know him from such books as Spencer and Locke, Savage Avengers, The OZ, and Coming Up. Very shortly from Marvel Comics, the new Punisher series. Please give a warm welcome to the one and only David Pepos. David, thank you so much for coming on the show. Of course. Thank you guys for having me. What a great intro. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to be on. I'm excited to talk comics with you guys today. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Like I say, we have been buzzing about this book ever since it, it, we got a chance to check it out. The thank whole you. panel is excited about this, and we can't stress enough. When you get the chance to pick this up on New Comic Book Day, run to the shops. Don't walk, run to pick this up because there's a lot going on with it. So why don't we just kind of get into how did this whole story come about? Yeah, boy, you know, this The, the Devil That Wears My Face has been a long time coming. Um, and it's been uh, not just a long time in development, but also just a long time of uh, working with Mad Cave Studios. 
I've been in contact with Mark London and, and Chris Fernandez over at Mad Cave for years. They've been fans of my work since my first book, Spencer and Locke, and uh, have been so kind and supportive uh, as I've continued my career. And we would keep meeting up at conventions and Mark and Chris would keep saying, when are you going to do something with Mad Cave? When are you going to do something with Mad Cave? And uh, as we started talking, um, it was New York Comic Con uh, two years ago that they said, listen, we are making a big push to expand the Mad Cave brand. We're hiring a lot of creators that you know and respect, people like Cullen Bunn, Steve Orlando, um, Chris Sabella. And I was like, oh, those are all people who I, I, I really do respect. I really like their work. And so we started talking about ideas. And, and the one that we all really galvanized on was the idea of the devil that wears my face. And for those who aren't familiar with the book, the, the high concept is it's like face off meets the exorcist. Uh, it's yeah. about uh, it follows Father Franco Vieri, who's an 18th century Vatican <laughs> priest who is grappling with a pretty profound crisis of faith. And his superiors in the Vatican send him to Spain to perform an exorcism on a Spanish nobleman's son who's been possessed by a demon known as Legion. Unfortunately, the ritual winds up backfiring. And so Vieri finds himself trapped in a stranger's body while his own body's been hijacked by Legion, who immediately makes a, a, hightails it back to the, the Vatican to wreak havoc. So it's really been kind of a fun story. I've wanted to do a body swap story for so long and being able to take a, a supernatural horror vibe to it uh, it really felt unique and interesting to me. And um, yeah, I think taking that historical element, um, that historical thriller vibe, um, it really makes The Devil That Wears My Face a book unlike anything else that I think is on the stands right now. Um, and that's it. before you even include uh, the amazing artwork of uh, Bram Stoker Award nominee Alex Cormick, who you might know him from his work at IDW with Rich Duick on uh, Road of Bones and Sea of Sorrows and Breath of Shadows or The Crimson Cage over at AWA, or Alex's upcoming book at Dark Horse with Rich, uh, Drive Like Hell, which you should also pre-order at your comic shop. Um, yeah, I mean, Alex is just, uh, I think, the leading horror artist of his generation. And seeing the work that he's done on Devil, I really think it's the work of his career. Oh, absolutely. Like we're showing the some of the preview pages on the screen too. Like I say, it is a mature reader's book, so some of the imagery is very intense, but it tells the story too. And there's so much going on with this. I mean, it's not just a regular horror story. Like, I mean, when you're coming up with the concept for this, did you want to just kind of go with just a straight horror story homage or was like, I really want to tie in some different elements and really kind of give this its own vibe? Yeah, I think very much the latter. I mean, really, uh, it, rather than coming to it from horror and figuring out how do I take a twist on horror, it was actually the opposite direction. Uh, for me, it was I wanted to do a body swap story. Uh, I, I'm a huge fan of, uh, of Face Off. I was just the right age when that movie hit VHS. Um, and so it's I, the greatest I, movie of all time. All right. Nicholas Cage, John Travolta, like, come on, let's get one thing. Let's set the record <laughs> straight real quick. <laughs> you know, structurally, those stories are always so interesting to me because you have to introduce two very uh, well-defined characters from the jump and then have them switch faces, uh, switch bodies and switch uh, their lives, really the context in which they operate. And so you have to really kind of uh, have some clearly defined characters early on. So that way, when they when they switch that context, they're still recognizable. Uh, and so I've wanted to do something like that for a long time. There's a fun kind of cat and mouse element to it. It's a fun, um, it's really a, always a parallel story structure of two guys who are both a little bit of fish out of water. It just so happens that usually the bad guy winds up finding his feet a little faster. And so it really is, mm -hmm. it's sort of a, a, a point and counterpoint between these two characters as one of them is trying to operate under the radar and not get caught. Whereas the other one is trying desperately to prove his identity to people who he doesn't know that well. 
Uh, and so I think it's just a really interesting kind of conflict laden uh, story structure. And so for me, it was really, how do I do a different take on that? And being able to take the, the supernatural approach uh, with demonic possession, it really felt like a cool way to, to take a new twist on the body swap conceit. Uh, and the thing that so I really this like, isn't like a Freaky Friday kind of thing. This is like I mean, no. you know, I guess I guess just to a, maybe to some extent, there's a little bit of Freaky Friday there. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the thing that I think is so cool is that exorcism and possession, uh, in certain ways, they really are two sides of the same coin, and they each have their own types of rules and mythology. And so, being able to kind of leverage one against the other, uh, that wound up being kind of some of the more fun parts of the research of this book. Uh, and it throws in a lot of fun twists and turns that uh, hopefully readers will really enjoy. No, absolutely. So, no, oh, go right ahead, Matt. So how much you talked about the research. So what were some mm -hmm. things that you you pulled from to research as far as, you know, the the religion aspects, the exorcism yeah. aspects? Well, you know, the, the, the most interesting thing to me was, um, you know, it's the Catholic Church, not just as a religion, but as as a historical and political entity. And so, um, you know, when I was talking about this book originally with Mad Cave, I'm not sure. I think I might have surprised them by turning it into a period piece. Uh, and it was just as I was doing the research on all of this, you know, I, 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 when you're doing a, um, a body swap story in the present, there's a lot of electronic elements to it that, like, I, I think it might be a little bit of a distraction from, from the core concept. Hmm. So I wound up doing a very deep dive, uh, both in sort of how does the Vatican work? How does the, the papacy work? How does um, just the, uh, the the political structure of the, uh, the the Catholic Church, what's known as the Curia, um, and, and the different people in, inside of that? Um, but I also just did a deep dive into the research on every single pope uh, that is that oh, is wow. ever existed. Um, wow. I did a deep dive into in sort of what is the, the the ongoing narrative history of the Catholic Church, uh, both as sort of a religion, but also as a political entity, because especially back then. Um, the, 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 the politics, it was, it was, it was just as much a political force as it was uh, a spiritual one. And so, uh, you know, without spoiling too much, um, you know, the Pope in our story, Pope Clemente, he was a real Pope in, in 1740, um, okay. who this was, this was sort of, he, he, he was dying. He, he was uh, blind and bedridden for a good, for, for, for the end of his career. And so he was conducting the Vatican's business from his bed. And I thought that was such an interesting metaphor for what the Catholic Church looked like in 1740. Um, you know, financially, they were in shambles. Um, they were dealing with increased resistance um, uh, from the Freemasons. Uh, things were not going well, even just, you know, um, what was the, 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 the Roman ghetto looking like? Uh, and so we're taking a lot of these bits and pieces historically and really using that to build uh, some nice settings for the devil the words my face. And so Vieri and Legion are going to be operating. Um, Rome really is its own character in, in, in a lot of ways. And so they're gonna be having to operate within this context. And that will uh, give some of them, sometimes, sometimes it'll give them the edge, sometimes it will give them a disadvantage. Um, but uh, I saw it as kind of a powder keg and um, having a, a, a demon like Legion in, in the mix, that might be the match that, that causes it all to go up in flames. So is Legion an actual like demon from the the Catholic? Yes. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay. Biblical demon known as Legion. Uh, you know that was kind of a cool thing that we did in the series. Uh, you might see it in some of the preview pages that come up later. 
uh, but uh, Legion, uh, we have this cool visual signature effect where he's got you know these shadowy eyes that follow him everywhere. And that's because the biblical demon Legion was really a composite. Uh, it was sort of a thousand demons just like stuffed into one victim. Uh, and so I thought that was kind of a cool, like almost like a hive mind. Um, mm. And so being able to do stuff like that uh, was 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 really cool. Um, sort of this embodiment of a thousand different types of evil, um, all stuffed into to, to one terrible creature. Um, so yes, uh, this is the biblical the biblical legion. Um, nice. And uh, unfortunately, um, there there's no uh, there's there's no herd of pigs uh, to 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 banish him into. <laughs> Ah, fair enough. Marty, you got a question you want to be asking? Yeah, speaking of research, um, you know, I did a little research on you and I found out that you used to be a crime and politics reporter. Yeah. Um, so I, I I'm it sounds I mean, it sounds like it's coming to fruition about how it helped you, but I'm always interested in like kind of how your whole uh story of of getting to write comics and just be a part of this whole journey came about yeah coming from like a crime and politics reporter well you know it's so interesting because um my my career trajectory has certainly not been a linear one um it's been more of a zigzag pattern and the way that uh my my journalism uh training has certainly impacted it, along with kind of a slew of other things I, I got my start i'm a third generation comics reader uh my grandfather was a comics fan uh, before he passed, and and my mother grew up reading comics, so I, I came by this naturally. Um, I think uh, my mother gave me a, a copy of Amazing Spider-Man three forty six when I was like five years That's old, nice. and um, I was just I was I was a lifer from there. Uh, and so uh, when I went to college, I, I grew up in Missouri. I did not really have any like creative role models, so to speak. Um, the idea of having a creative full time job it seemed about as likely as walking on the moon to me. Uh, mm -hmm. I just I didn't know anybody who did this for a living. Uh, but when I went to college, I thought, you know, what's, uh, what's my astronaut job? I would love to work in the comics industry. And so I uh, started my sophomore year, I emailed DC Comics um, and I, I, I reached out, I, I basically banged on their door every day or, or every like two weeks, I guess, for three years uh, until they finally said, oh, okay, wow. we'll let you in. <laughs> um, so I, I interned on books like uh, Batman RIP and Final Crisis and, and Green Lantern mm -hmm. Secret Origins. Uh, but uh, that was the summer of 2008. Uh, you might remember a certain recession that took place during that time. And so uh, there were no jobs to speak of in, in the comics industry. But I happened to get very lucky that um, incoming Batman assistant editor Janelle Aslan uh, was an alum at Newsarama. And so she was kind enough to connect me to uh, who, the man who wound up becoming my mentor, Troy Brownfield. So I, I wrote at Newsarama for many years, uh, I think over at least a decade. Uh, I wrote reviews and I became the reviews editor over there. And it really kind of taught me what I liked about comics and what I didn't and kind of forced me to show my work and really articulate uh, the things that I liked. Uh, but while I was doing that, um, I did spend some time as a journalist. Um, I worked at the Berkshire Eagle in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. Um, I, I covered the state politics beat and I covered the, the, the night police beat. And so um, while I won't say that there were any specific crime stories that 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 found its way into the mix. Although I guess Spencer and Locke, my first book, which was a crime book, uh, maybe had a little bit of, of of maybe the tone of it. But for me, it was just the the training of being a journalist. And I think I was able to kind of do this concurrently with two different outlets at once. Is that you know you're never afraid of a blank page anymore. You're never afraid of a deadline. You learn how to write modularly. Uh, I think that might be the the big part of the journalism training. Is that 
you know kind of all the details you want to put in a particular story. And sometimes you'll arrange them and you'll be like, no, like I, I, I'm, I'm burying the lead is, 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 is a term that a lot of people use where you're not getting like the core information out fast enough. All right. You're kind of, you're, you're, you're not trimming the fat at the beginning of the story. So you're kind of figuring out how do you prioritize it? And so for me, I tend to write pretty modularly, um, you know, where I'll write a scene and I'll be like, the scene is not coming fast enough or it's, uh, it's too long. And so I have to figure out ways how to cut it and shift it around in, in the script. And that's something I learned how to do at a newspaper. Um, and so I, I, it was the best. Uh, it was the best uh, first job I could have had. Um, first career I could have had. Really, um, you know, I, I even before my time in, in Pittsfield, I, I interned in newsrooms in um, in Boston and DC and um, in Los Angeles. And uh, yeah, I uh, to this day I still kind of miss it. I, I I I think if you asked me in my subconscious, like how do I identify, <laughs> I would still say like as a journalist. Um, right. it, it's 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 hard to turn your back on that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I think it just, it, it taught me how to write fast and to kind of be resourceful with my stories. Because the thing is, is that when you're a journalist, like you can't just say, oh, I got nothing today. Yeah, You have yeah. to kind of like figure yeah. out like what stones do I need to turn to find a story? And I think that really is something that's been a big survival skill for me in the comics industry is figuring out, all right, like if I don't have a project going on right now, What's something that I haven't done that I need to, that I, that I could, I, a different genre that I could tackle uh, or even just like getting the word out, uh, you know, about, about my work of just figuring out like, okay, like what outlets exist um, and like, how do I do the research and, and figure out how to contact people and reach out to them? So um, yeah, I strongly recommend, uh, you know, if, if you have the opportunity to, to, to have a little journalism training, it's a big help for being a, a comics writer. I know Neil Gaiman uh, did the same thing. Uh, but yeah, uh, I, I, I love that job. Uh, I miss it. I still keep in contact with, uh, some of the people I worked with over there. Um, just a good crew of people. No, I mean, awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that's such a beneficial thing too. Cause I mean, the amount of time when you have to come up with writing and especially in this day and age of just like, you know, with scripts moving and especially with issues you want to get out and you want to get to the public, you know, in a timely manner too. That's yeah. such a, you know, uh, just a skill that we don't think about like as readers, of just how much goes into it. But then when you pick up an issue like the devil that wears my face and how detailed it is with its background, with its story, like you were mentioning, I mean, that just adds just another factor of like, you know, how yeah. impactful the story is. Well, and, yeah, and the, another thing that, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. The pacing for it is fantastic. I mean, we were fortunate enough, obviously yeah. everybody out there that we've already read it. So, but the pacing is, 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 perfect like there's not a slow panel there's not a dead paragraph there's not a a dropped line it you hit the notes right on you know you hit it right on the head so you really are just enthralled to the next panel and the next word and the next line so yeah i completely understand where you're coming from because sometimes i will get writer's block when i'm doing a review and go yeah you just have to force you kind of just have to keep writing you just have to write something something is always better than nothing Yep. And I found, especially since um, uh, since I've started work at Marvel, uh, the thing that's really kind of been reinforced in me is that, you know, as the writer, you can't you cannot be the bottleneck. Um, I mm. I have the easiest job, just like mechanically, out of everybody in, in, on the creative team. Um, you know, that's why writers are able to juggle three or you know three or four books at once, 
Whereas, you know, uh, an artist, unless they're like an inhuman speed machine like Alex Cormick, um, they are <laughs> it, a monthly book is often kind of what what an artist can do. Um, you know, they can do those 20 pages in a 30 day span. Uh, that's just how long it takes. And um, so as a writer, you have to make sure that like you are, I, I've heard people refer to it as uh, feeding the beast, uh, you know, where like, you cannot let your artist not have pages. Um, they have to have pages. And so that's sort of been the, the thing that has been really reinforced with me um, and, and knock on wood so far, I have yet to miss a deadline, um, but that like, I have to make sure that my artists have have their next script in, in front of them uh, before they finish the current one. Just because like, if they're sitting on their hands, that really messes up the whole production schedule in a big way. And it's already hard enough for artists to get across the finish line just with the limited amount of time that they have that um yeah it really kind of it forces me to uh, really put my butt in the chair uh because yeah. uh, if i screw this up um then uh the, the the rest of the creative team down down the assembly line they uh they they don't stand a chance that's no, absolutely and it's and especially like in this situation like what was alex's reaction when you you pitched him this idea and you gave him the script like what was his initial like whoa like what <laughs> Like Alex that reaction. I, so I've been lucky enough to be buddies with Alex for for a while. Um, you know, I'm uh, we have a mutual friend, Rich Duick, um, and and he and I have, have come up together. And I've been a huge fan of Alex's since his work on Sync uh, over Comics Tribe. Okay. And so uh, as I, I've gotten to know Alex over the years, I've always been like, oh man, like we got to work on something together. I love your work, such a huge fan. And so um, as I was, I was uh working with mad cave and i think i had a script or two in the can um we started talking about like who would be the best artist for this book and i was like alex cormick would be great for this book he'd be fantastic and mad cave uh mark and chris over at mad cave luckily were like oh do you know alex we love his work um we've never we've never interacted with him before would you mind making an introduction and so i was able to reach out to alex and say listen like this is this concept and and you know we'd be working with mad cave and what do you think and alex was so excited um you know he really i i love just the uh, he doesn't run away from a challenge he really embraces it and so for something like devil which requires a lot of uh, historical research um alex really took to the challenge in such a cool way i without spoiling too much there's you know an issue um that there's a sword fight and Alex was immediately like, "Oh, I'm going to put on some Errol Flynn. I'm, I'm, I'm so excited." Uh, <laughs> you know? And uh, I, I, he turned in an issue of layouts uh, just yesterday, and and we were going over them, and and he was like, "Oh, I'm so excited to like start drawing this script." And so he really is. I can't say enough good things about him. Um, just a real mensch of a of a of a collaborator and um just he's like i said he's inhumanly fast um he's one of the few artists that i know who is able to juggle multiple projects at once and doesn't skip a beat um oh, that's awesome doesn't doesn't cut any corners i mean and and not only is he so good with the mood and atmosphere that horror requires but i love um the acting that he gives all of his characters there's so much expression um, and I think that that really keeps this book looking visually interesting um, is that all the characters you're seeing emotion um, in, in every single panel. Um, so, yeah, I, I really lucked out being able to work with him. And I'm already trying to figure out, like, what's the next thing that Alex and I can work on together. 
uh, just because this is my first full-length horror series. I've, I've done anthology work and I've done one shots, but uh, you know, Alex is really setting the bar high for my first horror book. And so uh, I'm, I'm eager to find something else to, to work with them on again soon. You really kind of undersold how like visually interesting this is. This is a beautiful comic, like very technical. Yeah. This is, it's beautiful. It's one of those, like when you're actually going through the pages, you can almost like smell the dungeon that they're at at a point and kind of like you get to get those smells and those visual senses and all that kind of stuff. Like it really jumps out at you from the page. And so you don't sell yourself short this between the writing and the artistry in this, it is a beautiful, beautiful masterpiece. Thank you. I, I always like to think of this book as, as, as the comic book equivalent of like a predator handshake, uh, you know, where it's just Alex and I just kind of high five and flexing yes. those artistic <laughs> biceps as, yeah. as, as much as we can. Um, <laughs> yeah, he really, I mean, he, he brings it in, in such a phenomenal way. Uh, I think this is one of the most beautiful books that I've, I've had the honor to work on. And that's all Alex. Uh, he's a one man band. He does his own pencils, inks and colors. Um, you know, he'd do his own lettering if we let him uh you know uh oh wow he really is a one-man band um and the fact that he's so fast and so gracious um just a really wonderful collaborator so um i know he gets embarrassed when i when i talk like this but like i can't say enough good things about working with him i'm just a real stand-up guy and uh gosh yeah. keep going keep no keep going, going. yeah, yeah. Keep going. hopefully, hopefully uh, he, he remembers those little people uh uh when when uh when he's when he's really uh, uh hitting the stratosphere no, I mean, you guys, you guys are crushing it on all levels right out of the gate. And you had me hooked right from the get go. I mean, I, I love when you can tell that the artist and the writer, and if there's a colorist are completely in sync together, because you can just you can just tell like the whole pacing and the flow works great. And then like, just some of the character design and how you guys did um, the you know, the the devil or the, um, the the demon, the demonic, multi eyed you know craziness that goes on like i'm really excited to hopefully get a reveal issues down the line of like what the thing actually looks like outside of the body um because that's always you know you always look for that crazy battle that that's going to happen and yeah. I know, i'm sure i'm hoping it's going to build to something nuts but um yeah i mean it, it's incredible yes just, uh, just uh, hats off yeah alex has some 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 cool some cool imagery for Legion. Uh, actually, it was so fun uh, going back and forth with Alex on the character design uh, because I think he and I both like to be very hands-on with that. And so that was really fun kind of like passing the ball uh, uh, between each other. You know, I wrote out kind of a character description and was, I often say like, oh, you know, here are actors that I think might fit like a similar vibe or might kind of be in the in the similar visual ballpark. You know, if I was casting this as a movie, here's, here's who I would pick. And then Alex kind of takes his interpretation of that. And what he did, which was so great, is he would give me kind of, he would give me almost a menu where he would be like, okay, here's four different versions of Vieri. Are any of them sticking out at you? And and here's four different versions of Legion and four different versions of, uh, Vier of, of Maria, who was sort of the, uh, a supporting cast member of the book or, or Cardinal Pentecost, who was uh, uh, Vieri's mentor. And so what wound up actually happening was I would then take those designs and I I kind of played around on Photoshop a little bit where I was like, you know, I really like this character's eyes on this character's head. Or I like Ooh. this hair on this character oh, okay. with this other one's eyes. You picked one from column A and one from column B. Yeah, and uh, uh, Alex was so gracious about it that he's like, yeah, that rules. Uh, 
and so that wound up being very fun in that like i feel like these characters like we we really the, the it was a very collaborative effort of, of, of settling on their final looks and bringing them to life um yeah it, it it's been really fun and i can tell you that uh alex's uh design on legion which uh, you'll see a little bit of an issue one but uh yeah it's it's pretty spectacular uh, uh very unique looking um and uh yeah i don't know if i've seen another demon like this uh in comics before it almost no. makes me want to see you guys do like a constantine it's just another reason pick it up. just because oh, man. yeah oh, i mean man. exactly uh, write your yeah. congressman. Uh, you know, I I would not say no that I, I you know oh, I've yeah. never thought about that, but um, that rules. Yeah, I would I would totally be I'd, I'd do that. Yeah, in a heartbeat. Listen, DC, if you're out there listening, you're welcome. <laughs> we, you're welcome. We know some people who know some people, so uh, we'll definitely be uh, putting that up there on the social media. We get we need to see this happen. Yes, <laughs> and and I mean, obviously, with such a horror comic. Like, what is it about horror that you think connects with the readers? Like, you know, there, it's it's always something when you, you this, obviously this book is amazing and it's something yeah. that's connecting even to people that are not super into horror. So, yeah, for Tom especially, too, because Tom is not our horror guy by any means. I'm not allowed. My wife says so. <laughs> so, but he did get a pass for this. But just even to like now, you see horror is kind of going through a resurgence. Like, what you know, what is it when you're writing a story that you think just is that connection to the reader? Well, you know, I feel like like horror and comedy are are, are two sides of the same coin. In that, you're not just telling a story that like hits the beats of like, are you excited? Are you feeling like tense for the you know your protagonist? Uh, you know that that sort of uh, general structure of of, of, a, of a linear story. Um, but, uh, you know, for comedy, you're seeking an emotional reaction. You're trying to surprise people and get them to laugh. Whereas for horror, you're kind of doing a similar thing where you're seeking that emotional reaction, but it's like to kind of like make people feel like a chill down their spine or to be like, oh my gosh, that just happened. Or, you know, sometimes just, you know, a, a little combination of column A and column B where mm -hmm. you're like, oh my God, you're kind of laughing, like seeing like, oh, that guy just got like wrecked um you know just like the fun bits of of horror and yeah. um yeah i think i think it, it has a way of kind of prioritizing uh the way that you put your story together uh, you know you 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 cut down on some of the frills because you're like what is the most immediate way of telling the story you know i want to follow one of my 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 two leads or you know maybe occasionally one of the supporting cast members uh, mm -hmm. but yeah you're trying to just figure out like how do I get that emotional response? And especially doing it in a monthly book like we're we're, we're doing with Devil, um, you know, six issue series, uh, you know that like every issue you have to have a couple of these moments, um, right? And so uh, you really kind of wind up uh, using that as the scaffolding uh, in, in in a way that that you kind of you 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 hinge your story on these beats of like what's gonna what's gonna make people scared, what's gonna make people feel something. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's just, you don't have to go super complicated with it. Um, and I think mm -hmm. that's, that's the cool thing about horror is that, um, you know, there's plenty of, uh, down to earth street level horror that like still makes you feel something, um, and, yeah. or doing something. I mean, the devil that wears my face while it, you know, there's, there's, uh, it, it's a period piece and while there's demonic possession involved, um, uh, it's still pretty street level. I've, I've said between that and Moon Knight City of the Dead and Punisher. This is sort of my gritty street level phase. Uh, okay. uh, my, my gritty street level summer. Um, 
<laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think horror is just, uh, it has a way of focusing the, the, the way mm. that you write. And I think, yeah, as consumers, I mean, you know, I think um, there's like a really fun kind of horror subculture out there, you know, um, in any particular medium that you're interested in, whether, you know, you're a movie buff or, or a comic person, um, you know, there's just, it, it really is kind of this thriving underculture, so to speak. And um, yeah, I think, I think people just like comics in general, you know, some people are raised with this. You know, they have a, mm. they had a cool older sibling or a cool parent that, you know, brought them into the movie that maybe they were too young to see. Um, and it became like a cool bonding experience. So I, I, I as somebody who grew up as kind of a coward, um, you know, I, I've sort of uh, late in life been starting to embrace horror. Uh, mm. and, and really, uh, I, I've come to respect the energy uh, of the of the genre. Um, and so that's why. Uh, having written a few comics in different genres, I felt like horror was the missing food group. I had done crime, I had done sci-fi, I had done fantasy. I had even done a little bit of YA. And yet I had never done anything full-length horror. And so, uh, yeah, I'm excited. Uh, this I, I couldn't have asked for a better first horror book uh, to, to have written. And um, I really, uh, yeah, Alex and, and Justin Birch, they're just knocking it out of the park. It, it it's uh, everything I could have hoped to uh, it, the book would have been and more. Do you have a, a favorite horror movie? There's or yeah. like, is there any movies that you kind of pulled from inspiration wise for this as well? Sure. Well, um, so as far as movies that I pulled inspiration from for this, let's see. Well, obviously, of course, The Exorcist, um, uh, The Haunting of Emily Rose. I, I really liked. Um, uh, let's see. Some other horror movies that I really enjoy. Um, let's see. 28 Days Later. Killer is Clowns from Outer Space. Oh, yes. Uh, uh, 28, 28 Days, Days Later is probably. Later, man. I, I love that movie, but that probably put me off of horror for a long time because I expected all horror movies to be that visceral. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I had recurring nightmares for years um, of, of, of fast moving, hyper virulent zombies, um, you know, where if it was just like a drop <laughs> of blood, you're dead or they just catch you and rip you apart. Um, and I'm not much of a runner. So, um, you know, I'm trying to, uh, others, let's see, uh, Wreck, um, or or you may know it as Quarantine. Um, oh, yeah. Really oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, that really, I think, hits my sweet spot um, in that, like, it's zombies, but it's also a little journalism-y. Um, you know, it's That's pretty self-contained in that one. That's a really good one. Yeah, I haven't really, watched that. I like that. Um, I recently watched The Bay. Uh, I really like that one. That's it's kind of a little known one. It's that um, it's it's uh, one of the actresses from You're the Worst, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> uh, but it was. I thought it was really fantastic. It was sort of like an environmental horror found footage Ooh. story. Um, boy, um, I guess that doesn't really count. I was about to. I was about to talk about Missing and Searching. Those aren't really horror movies, uh, but I, I I like those a lot just in terms of like tension um boy uh child's play love oh child's nice play. yes uh, child's play is classic child's play is fun um i don't know if does the fly count yeah of um, course it does yeah um, yeah i'll, I'll put it like that there. body mute that body horror yeah almost, i saw the know? fly pretty pretty late um but i was struck at how well the, it held up um uh, i really uh, I, I i like that movie Ooh. a lot it, it it was it it became sort of retroactively one of my favorite jeff goldblum movies um, 
I would suggest checking out the crazies if you haven't seen that. Yeah, I love the crazies. Yeah, okay. I was gonna say that's a great one as well. Um uh yeah, actually I just watched that for the first time. It was a few months ago. I loved it. Uh fantastic movie. Um yeah, I you know, I'm gonna be kicking myself after the 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 podcast. there's so many others. I watched I watched every exorcism movie I could find. Um there was one about it was Jewish exorcism uh, that I watched um, while I was doing this that I thought was a very interesting counterpoint to all this. It had um, Jeffrey Teen Morgan and boy, I'm blanking on the name. Um, if you come, if you find that name later, like hit me up because I would love to to check that one out because it's I'll, yeah, I'll same up my alley. Let's see, I'll I'll, I'll look it up for you right now. Um, it was called The Possession. Um, it has Madhuri okay. Ahu in it. Um, uh, so that was. That was that was a fun one. Um, Does he do the yeah. soundtrack? <laughs> yeah, uh, he, did, he did do the soundtrack. Uh, the only one that I, I have not seen because I, I really I didn't I didn't want to see it uh, after I had turned in all the scripts because I was worried. You know, uh, am I going to have over, any overlap? Um, was uh, I have not seen the Pope's Exorcist yet. I, um, I figured uh, once once this whole series is out, I'll I'll, I'll check it out and see uh, if I overlap any on it. Um, I'm just looking at this list right here. Uh, the seventh day, uh, was an interesting one. Actually, uh, you know, it was a funny one. It's not great, but I, it scratched my lizard brain. I think cause I love Arnold Schwarzenegger so much. Um, mm. let's see, what was it called? It's not the eighth day. Um, uh, the days. yeah, that was it. Oh, that's right. I yeah. forgot that movie. Yeah, um, about um, that action, 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 exorcism. Um, you know, I think that movie was flawed, it. but I understand where it was coming from. Uh, the Keanu Reeves Constantine movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah that movie. Yes. Um, Classic. I can play that one off of my wife as a comic book movie, so I can get away with that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was some nice. Movie. There was a Aaron Heckhart one um, that I am trying to remember. That might have also been called possession. Uh, oh, no. Really? Okay. There's no way. That's that. That. Hold on. I'm. I'm looking at. The I didn't mean to send you down the rabbit hole. Um. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like it, it, the the thing is, is I, I. You know, I'm. I'm. I'm trying to remember everything I watched. Um. Like I said, this this book is actually it's been in development for so long. Um. I. 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 I connected with Mad Cave over starting this. Is it it's a. It's going to be two years ago next week oh wow um, so it's been wow. in the works for a long time uh some of that was just you know we were so excited to work with alex that we wanted to make sure that you know we could fit in his schedule so um alex started drawing the book uh early this year um whereas i had had the majority of it written uh by the time he started i think i finished up the last third uh, you know while while he was working on the early issues uh, i remember watching things like uh the young pope uh, that was really helpful. Uh, weirdly, the, the 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 Da Vinci Code movies, um, you know, just to kind of get. I mean, there's a lot of, mm. you know, they deal with like the Pope and a lot of Catholicism. Yeah, you know, just kind of getting a sense of like Rome as a place, you know, uh, in lieu of, you know. Could you imagine Tom know? Hanks going around performing exorcisms though real quick? Like, I feel like there's a story. <laughs> That's a movie I want to watch. You know, I'd, I'd watch that movie. Um, you know, Tom Hanks, he's America's sweetheart. Exactly. Uh, even in my boot. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, Thank you, good I, when I when I'm uh, really uh, lock on to a, to a high concept, I tend to do kind of the movie binge first, uh, where I'm just like, okay, what are all the other ways that people have tackled this? 
And so sometimes I'm like, oh, that's a cool thing. How do I take my own twist on this? And it also just kind of gets me in the headspace. Um, I tend to do, uh, actually, I take pretty detailed notes uh, when I watch one of these things, uh, just to be like, okay, like that way it helps me remember the story that much more clearly. And when something isn't like I'm not remembering, you know, the specific plot points, I just open up that Google Doc. I'm like, oh, yeah, like as I see my notes, I can kind of replay how the whole thing played out in my head. Um, and so that winds up being very helpful in terms of uh, this is kind of a philosophical thing for me. And I'm probably getting a little hoity-toity in the, in the weeds. But I I think it's especially when I was starting out, um, the idea of, of creation was kind of um, it was mystified. You know, it seemed like magic. And I think that's where a lot of people think, oh, you have it or you don't. And then people get discouraged. And I find that uh, making comics, just like making anything else, like making a chair, it's a craft. And so every every story that you consume was put together like a chair, you know, mm -hmm. um, where you're just kind of putting these pieces together. And so that's how I tend to do a lot of my research. I, I, I When I was teaching myself how to write comics, the same thing, I, I would take, uh, I think Scott Snyder recommended take Batman year one um, that like yeah. you, you break it down page to page, panel to panel, line to line. Like you just, how would you, how would you break that down into a script? And um, that was very helpful for me. And uh, doing that research with the movies uh, is very helpful as well. But uh, yeah, boy, it was, uh, yeah, it was about uh, a little less than two years ago. So I, I'm a little rusty on, on which ones I watched, but uh, boy, I had like a laundry list of uh, exorcism films. Uh, some of them pretty good. Some of them, you haven't heard of them for a reason. Uh, my favorite thing but, to do, you go to the Amazon, the, the Paramount, the Peacock, and you're just getting into the really dive yeah, the back catalogs. Yeah. And you're just like, what yeah. is this? There, there was one that was set in a, in a morgue that I really liked um, that had uh, one of the kids from Road to Perdition in it. Uh, uh, it was not Tyler Hawkland. It was the other one, the one who got in trouble. Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, why is he not in the in the thing? That's weird. Um, but uh, yeah, I know he was in a movie that. Um, oh, it was Emil Hirsch. That was it. Uh, oh, okay. oh, okay. Speed yeah, Racer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, Exorcism movie. Let me find out what it was called. The Autopsy of Jane Doe. That was cool. Yes, that was great. Heard of that one? Things like that. You know, I I I was pretty omnivorous. You know, because you never know where you're going to get your ideas from. But yeah, was there a long way to answer that? Sorry. Was there any inspiration? No worries. Inferno as well. Did you did you check that at all and pull any inspiration? Yeah. Um. You know. I I didn't. I can't say I drew a lot of inspiration specifically from that um i mean just because like uh, the whole story is taking place like in rome or spain um so I, we're not taking it like to, to to supernatural realms but i definitely um i read it in college um so like i i i i can't say i took a lot of direct inspiration from that one um but uh i could see i could see where somebody might ask nice. no absolutely I mean, with this book, though, because like I say, we can't scream this enough. The Devil That Wears My Face is just proof of just how much time and dedication you put into it. The writing is fantastic. The art is phenomenal. 
what would you say is like a final selling point? Like if anybody's still not sold on this, because I know we got a couple of questions that have been written in, we got to get to, yeah. uh, what do you think is like this, the selling point? Like if you're like, if anybody is still not sure, cause I mean, I don't know how they can't be like, I literally want to <laughs> run down my LCS right now and go get a physical copy. What is yeah, the final well, selling point for this? Yeah. I mean, a face off meets the exorcist, uh, isn't enough of a selling point. Um, honestly, like it's so, this story is so interesting to me because it really is a parallel story. Um, we're telling it from two different protagonists' perspectives, uh, both Theory and Legion. And it's this real nice cat and mouse game between the two of them, um, where it really is punch and counter punch. Um, mm -hmm. Theory is, is kind of a fun character just because, like, you know, he's 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 got this secret to him um, that we'll sort of be teasing. And uh, once we you read issue six, it's going to really turn the whole series on its head when you find out exactly what caused Theory's crisis of faith. But uh, for my money, uh, Legion is the reason why you want to read this book. Um, you know, it's so fun to write a character who's just like pure vicious id. And uh, it's kind of freeing as a writer to, to, to write a character who like, does not care about the rules, um, who kind of does his own thing. Um, and he does it in some pretty bloody and over-the-top ways. So uh, I can tell you, Alex delivers. Um, I think we are so far on our fourth decapitation uh, in, in the book oh, so geez. far. Uh, <laughs> And uh, uh, yeah, just some Alex really kind of pulls out all the stops for these big gruesome moments. And uh, you're definitely going to check those out. No, absolutely. Marty, I know you got a bunch of questions that were written in, so I'll have you kick those off. Yeah, sure. So um, Owen, who writes in, was uh, interested in how you came up with the title. I told him to read the book, uh, but um, <laughs> in all seriousness, like it's a, to piggyback off of that, like, when do you come up with titles when you write? Like, is it right in the beginning, right in the middle, kind of towards the end of yeah. the first book? couple of, you know, it's, how do you come up with that overall title? Yeah, it's, it's definitely in the beginning. Um, you know, I think for 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 Devil, uh, you know, we've been thinking a lot about um, there was a trend in, in, in longer titles. You know, something is killing the children or what's the furthest place from here? Um, you know, and it... I had heard uh, anecdotally, I don't know if it's true or not, that, you know, it was helpful for SEO purposes. But I was kind of like, okay, like, that, that's interesting. Like, a lot of these very well-respected books are trying these new kind of longer titles. And so I, I, I thought trying something a little longer was, was interesting. And so we were, we were batting ideas around, and um, um, that was sort of the one that, like, all of us felt really excited about uh, was, was the devil wears my face. Um, but, yeah, you definitely – you tend to come up with those pretty early on. Um, mm -hmm. it, you know, it's, it's not, it's not to say that you don't occasionally make a, like a later breaking change. You certainly, I've never done it later than the outline. Um, like I, what, what I, what I do is, is an outline or some people might call it a treatment where you literally, you write out the prose version of what this book is. Like, you're not worried about panel count. You're not worried about like, what are the interesting like dialogue choices you're going to use? Although occasionally you might have a zinger in there that you throw in, um, but it's literally it's it's you just bomb it out what the story is going to look like, um, and then once you kind of know what the story looks like, then you can you've got all your ingredients on the table and you can start to kind of cook with them. Um, so I don't I would I would certainly I probably wouldn't do a a, a title after that stage. Certainly um, I usually do it beforehand. Like I don't I don't find that. If I don't have a title that works, I don't think the concept works. You know, like mm. I, I think that's sort of my way of saying, like, okay, like if this title is good, 
this might be worth pursuing. Um, but uh, that said, I've heard from other people. I mean, I've heard of people changing the the the, the names of their books very late in the game. Uh, you know, mm. where they've got multiple scripts in, and they're like, "Oh, somebody already did that title. We got to figure that oh, out." No. Um, wow. You know, I can I can say um, actually. I will say, like, um, like my my upcoming sci-fi book, Grand Theft Astro, which is still in the works. Uh, I actually uh, we're almost done with the second issue uh, production now. Um, I know there was a different title to that book, um, and and uh, we we found out that somebody else had done a, a a book with a similar title, so we had to change something. We had to change it. So um, it's not unheard of, but I think, yeah, trying to do a, a, a have the title pretty early on, I think it just acts as a nice focusing point um, that like, you know, okay, this is the name of the project. Um, whereas if you don't have a name for it, it almost feels like a little too vague uh, to, to, to really keep going. It's like, it's like kind of trying to fight through the mud. Gotcha. Awesome. And, and uh, I got another one from our buddy, Nick, from uh, none of my friends like uh, comics, he actually did a episode on Spencer and Locke, and oh, he, I texted him. Yeah, so I text. You should check it out. It was a really good episode. Um, I I texted him. I was like, Hey, guess who I'm interviewing? And he's like, Oh no, I'm so jealous. And I was like, You got a question for me? He's like, Yup. He wants to know um, anything that you can tell about the inception of that book because he. Oh yeah. Loved that book. Well, tell him thank you. Um, you know, boy, it's 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 bittersweet to think about that book uh, this week, especially um, you know for those who, who, who follow me on social media. Um, our, our colorist on that book, Jason Smith, uh, passed away mm. unexpectedly uh, last week um, for what I believe was heart-related uh, complications. Um, the way that Spencer and Locke came together—that was my very first book—and um, and like I was saying uh, earlier. It took me a long time to really build up permission uh, to give myself permission to try writing a story. You know, I just I didn't think it was like a, a, a I couldn't wrap my head around it being a job that people did. And uh, mm -hmm. when I was working at Newsarama um, as the reviews editor, you know, it's it, you're a kid in a candy shop, but you are counted on to cover as much as, as, as humanly possible. And so you sort of you're the kid in the candy store who has to eat until you're fit to burst. And also statistically speaking, like you're not going to like 50% of the candy, you know, um, it's, you're just, it's just not going to be for you. And so I, I, it would come in, 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 in ebbs and flows where sometimes I'd, I'd be in a period where I love everything I was reading or love a, a good chunk of what I was reading. And then there'd be times where like, I really wasn't vibing on much. And I was like looking for like a book or two every week to kind of like get me over the hump till the next week. And um, I think I was in one of those stages where I was like, man, I'm not really vibing with a lot of what I'm reading. And I felt like I needed to make a change. Um, either I needed to step aside and, 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 and just enjoy comics as a civilian, or I needed to make the kind of comics that I wanted to read. Um, and I remember being very struck by um, books like Afterlife with Archie and uh, Criminal, uh, Last of the Innocent. I remember those two books uh, which were very interesting genre twists on the Archie mythos, uh, really stood out at me. And um, I remember when Afterlife with Archie especially came out, I was like, whoa, you can make comics like this? And I loved like the subversiveness of it and, um, and that it was like so intense, but also so funny. And so I thought, you know, what would I do if I was doing something like that? 
I remember growing up, uh, Frank Miller was a big, uh, uh, he, he was the first writer that stood out to me as a kid that I realized like, oh, real writers do this. Like his voice stood out to me so much. Uh, and so I, I, I said, what's the weirdest thing I could throw up against old school Frank Miller that would kind of make this thing click? Mm. And, um, you know, the thing is, is like, I, I, I knew pretty early on, you can throw anything against anything and like you can do a first issue out of it. But if there's no, if there isn't like a reason to do it, like shock value is not going to be enough. Like there needs to be like an actual through line to all of this. And so I was throwing together all sorts of weird combinations and none of them were clicking. And then I thought, what about Bill Watterson, Calvin and Hobbes? And the light bulb just like clicked. Um, I could, it just flashed on. I imagine this like hard boiled cop, like all beat up and like grinning in the rain. He's holding a stuffed animal. And I thought, oh, like, what's that guy? Like, what, what was his upbringing like? What was his home life like? And that really became the spine of Spencer and Locke. Um, for those who, who haven't read it, it's uh, what if Calvin and Hobbes grew up in Sin City? And it, it follows uh, hard boiled detective. Thank you. Um, it follows hard-boiled Detective Locke uh, as he investigates the murder of his childhood sweetheart. And his partner happens to be his seven-foot-tall imaginary Blue Panther, Spencer. And sort of it becomes like a, a, a bit of a character study as Locke and, and Spencer are kind of uncovering what happened uh, to this woman. Is we see these Bill Watterson-esque flashbacks to Locke's childhood. We see that like he's grappling with some pretty profound trauma and mental illness as a result of this like terrible abusive upbringing where like anything that could go wrong for him did and um yeah boy it was you know i still can't believe that book got made um and and and, and that we managed to stick the landing on it that people responded as well as they did um that was part of the reason why it took so long for me to do a second volume was because i i was half convinced i was going to get run out of the industry um, for, for for that book oh, wow. there's no more there's no more of a sacred cow in comics than Bill Watterson's Calvin and Hobbes. And with good reason. I mean, the man's a trailblazer. He's a pioneer. Um, mm -hmm. You know, he, 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 his economy of line and just the way that he was able to really kind of stretch himself stylistically. Um, it's, 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 it's a, a once in a generation achievement, that strip. Um, and so I think the way we approached it was, you know, it, it was with all the love and affection um, you know, I, I, Calvin and Hobbes was the very first strip that I ever read as a kid. Uh, my my grandfather used to read the collections to me, um, and, and my mother still has the strips up in her office. Um, so yeah, I just um, I came by it honestly and 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 with the, all the love and respect I could muster, and um, thankfully people really responded to it. But uh, yeah, really that whole book was just me dipping my toe in, into the pool until I kind of accidentally fell into the deep end. Um, and, and, and accidentally got a creative team and accidentally got a publisher. Uh, uh, nobody uh, uh, is more surprised about it than I am, but um, it's uh, one of the best decisions I've ever made. No, absolutely. No, the book is fantastic. And, you know, our deepest condolences awesome. out to Jason's family, friends and fans. Yeah. You know, like we I know from his work uh, with Spencer and then uh, he also was the colorist on the Pocus Hocus team for yeah. Uh, yeah. Alan Donford and company there. So, yeah. Uh, you know, with another book that was coming out too, and I mean, I, I I have the graphic, but I also have to hold up my autograph copy, and that is the OZ. Thank uh, you. 
Yo, absolutely. No, I love this series. And I know that the fans have been asking me. I, I've been hit by a couple people. And yeah. I, I know we talked off air about this, but I need to know the official thing yeah. for publicly. Happy to give you, to give you the this? official scoop. Yeah, uh, we are, the, we are what, part of, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, what is the official status on issue three? Yeah, we are hard at work on issue three. Um, OZ has been written for a long time, so I, I never want people to think like, oh, it's his Marvel work, like keeping him from doing it. Um, quite the contrary, uh, that that book, uh, I had written the whole series before we launched the first Kickstarter. So it's been it's been done for for, for some time, uh, minus like you know little little tweaks here and there uh, as the art comes in, which is is standard for for any comic. Um, you know, it's it's honestly some of it was just that you know issue two uh, came out later than we would have liked. Um, there was just kind of uh, we literally had to survive a hurricane to get that second issue out. Um, you know, there was a, our, our our printer uh, you know uh, had some issues um, uh, getting the, the the books to us. There's paper shortages going on. Like I, there's nobody to blame on that. It's just you know the way that the world is right now. Mm. Um, you know, post pandemic, but, um, Ruben Rojas has been really hard at work on, on the book. He is almost halfway finished through issue three, uh, which is where I wanted us to be before I, I felt comfortable doing a, a Kickstarter. Um, and then, uh, Whitney Kogar is hard at work on the colors as well. She has been, uh, uh, juggling quite a few projects. Uh, so I understand that like her, her, her schedule is a little bit of a moving target right now. Um, but that's kind of where we're at. Um, you know, Ruben is almost done with, with the, the first half of that book. And once Whitney has uh, the colors together, we can start figuring out a timeline for the next Kickstarter. I think uh, we were saying, talking about this uh, off, off air, but um, it's probably a little too late in, in 2023 um, mm. to, to do a, another Kickstarter. Usually like the November period is kind of a dead zone, uh, November, mm. December, January. And honestly, I'm not even super confident about February. I don't think that's a, a super great launch time. So I would love to do something in like March, April, May of next year. Um, you know, we'll have uh, uh, wrapped up uh, Moon Knight City of the Dead and, um, and Devil the Where's My Face will be all wrapped up. And so that'll be like a good time for me to also be able to focus like all the spotlight on my work towards that Kickstarter um, and really just kind of uh, uh, do that last Kickstarter uh, with, with as much force and verve as, uh, as, as humanly possible. Well, I'm already booking you to come back on the show for that. So definitely. I'm we, excited. We, Let's do it. We'll definitely need to talk about it there. And before we let you get out of here, uh, I was, I've been getting hit up and I know the rest of the bullpen here has been getting hit up yeah. about another Marvel project you have coming out, sure. uh, fairly in, in the near future. I believe November is the announced date and that is the new yes. Punisher series. Can you yeah. talk to us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, boy, I'm so excited for, uh, for our new Punisher series to come out. Uh, first issue drops November 8th and, um, you can still pre-order it at your local comic shop now. Um, yeah, I'm super excited. Uh, you know, when Marvel uh, hit me up to do this series, uh, I had written Punisher 2099 in uh, the pages of mm -hmm. Savage Avengers. And um, uh, my editor, Tom Brevoort, uh, uh, liked what I did with, with Jake Gallows. And so um, he approached me and said, hey, listen, uh, we would love for you to take over Punisher. And I said, oh, okay, that's that's cool. I'm very excited. because, But here's the twist. Uh, we're going to be introducing a brand new Punisher, uh, a new legacy character. And so... Uh, it was really cool opportunity to just try something new. I, I know legacy characters often are polarizing. Uh, people are always uh, they 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 get very um, 
nervous about what's what is it going to look like? What is it going to mean for the characters that I know and love? Um, for those who read Jason Aaron's run on Punisher, uh, you know, only minor spoilers. Uh, Frank Castle is off doing his own thing um, uh, in, in, in the steps of Weird World. And so uh, this was kind of the perfect opportunity to really like hit the ground running with something that's like totally brand new. Uh, I've always said legacy characters feel like a centrifuge. You know, it really kind of helps you cycle out like what are the core characteristics of a character that like it wouldn't be them if, if it's if you don't have these things. You know, for the Punisher, I always think about like the tenacity, the the badass attitude, the grit, the uh, the ruthlessness, the uh, the willingness to kind of like take a hit if it means to take out the other guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also then figuring out like, well, how are different ways we can do this? So our new Punisher um, is is a, a guy by the name of Joe Garrison, who is an ex Shield wetworks agent. Um, he's okay. uh, the that they called him the grave digger of shield and joe uh joe uh, retired to pursue the call of family and unfortunately uh, as our series opens up uh, someone has blown up his house with joe's family still inside and the police are inclined to think the husband did it and so joe is on the run uh using his uh, particularly deadly set of skills to try to figure out who set him up and why I, i've been building this book as uh, uh this origin story in particular as uh, john wick meets the fugitive Oh yeah. Okay. And, yep. Um, that John Wick element. Nice. You know, I don't. I, mean, I don't take that lightly. Uh, in that, that was sort of when I when we were discussing how do we do this Punisher differently. Um, you know, we talked about the shield background. We talked about uh, using that shield armory. And I I want people to know that does not mean that this is a non lethal Punisher. He's not going to be like hugging people to death. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, the, the, he the, is the, just with his bicep around <laughs> there, not <yeah>. by cuddles. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's it, it by taking the elevated uh, shield armory, it just gave us more opportunities to like do different weapons um, for for different situations. Um, but you know, our, our the title of our first issue is the bullet that follows. Uh, you can see in our preview pages, there's a ton of uh, uh, headshots uh, going on, uh, even in our preview art. So uh, this is this is not a Punisher who's going to be letting people off the hook. But what I thought was so interesting is that when you meet Frank Castle. In, in the in the pages of I believe it's Amazing Spider-Man 129, um, you know he's already the Punisher. He's he's mm-hmm. made that decision. Frank has been marinating in that loss for quite some time, uh, to the point where he has adopted a whole new identity and, 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 and uh, is you know uh, committing extrajudicial vigilantism. Uh, whereas for Joe, um, he this the wounds are still very fresh, and so this is very much how do you go from being sort of a, a, a one man's personal mission, which is something that does have an end date, to a mission that goes wide, and and maybe is is, is something ended. Um, I, I've said, and, and people always ask, you know, like how would somebody take on the mantle of the Punisher in the year twenty twenty three? And that is really kind of a core part of what this story is about. Um, you know, there are some legacies that you choose for yourself. There are other legacies that find you, and um, you'll see. Uh, even in our first issue, uh, you know, this you'll see that uh, this is not as cut and dry as you might expect. Um, and, and Joe, um, it's a legacy that's going to find him. Nice. So, uh, I, I will I say, can't the, wait to pick this up. Uh, awesome. The, the the thing is, I also I don't I don't yeah. bring up John Wick lightly. Um, that was another cool part about this character. Is I said, how would you approach the Punisher differently? And I thought um, taking the gun-fu approach, uh, I thought was a really exciting and cool way 
to to do something different with the character um you know to to, to borrow some comparisons from yes. uh from our, our, our friends across the street uh you know it's sort of like a bruce wayne and cassandra kane um you know that they would approach each situation very differently and so for joe it's not just about the hardware it's also just the way that he moves through a crowd and he's he's picking them off one by one using his his shield pistols but also he doesn't need those guns um he, he he's really a born improviser and he likes to use well he doesn't like but he tends to use um the environment around him uh to to, to help kind of close the gap and so that's Is that what, born like b-o-r-u-n-e it's 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 cool because that means that you can drop joe anywhere you know in a restaurant in an office building in a nightclub you know in atlantis if you wanted to and it's how's he going to fight his way out uh and that was what i thought was particularly cool i mean we talked at length um you know there's a lot of people with a lot of questions of like how do you do a new punisher how do you do a new punisher knowing how controversial the character is and um, for me, I think it's all about going back to the core of it, which is Jerry Conway talked about. Um, it's a it's a failing of society if 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 a, a man like the Punisher is needed and a, and a man like Pun the, the Punisher exists. And I remember having a very spirited conversation with a diehard Punisher fan at Baltimore Comic Con a few weeks ago. Um, you know, uh, he he was wearing a Punisher T-shirt, a Punisher baseball cap, and had a Punisher uh, mug with him. So he really uh you really yeah, that's uh, um and he you know i think when we when i talked about oh you know we're we're, we're doing a new legacy character the punisher um you know at first he, he had a lot of trepidation and i asked him i said don't you feel like the system feels rigged against the little guy and he kind of did a double take and he was like yeah and i said i think that's what the punisher ultimately is about when you kind of go full circle and you go beyond I, I think Garth Ennis is great as well, but like, you know, sort of that's like the ultra violence. It's almost like cartoonish, um, you know, like like gleeful. When you kind of go back full circle to like the Punisher, it really is like when society can't help you, um, when you know there are cracks in the system because of the of the politicians and because enforcement cards are stacked against you societally. Um, if nobody can help you maybe you need a punisher to help you settle the score and that's really kind of my overarching where i would like joe to be and that's sort of where uh i, I we're hoping that he'll go uh beyond his origin story is that uh, yeah it's, it's a punisher for the little guy um and i think that's the way you really circle that square i i don't subscribe to the binary that you if you're a fan of frank castle you're a bad person and I don't subscribe to the only way that you can tell Punisher stories is by punching down on somebody else. Uh, me, and that I, I've been asking uh, since I took this assignment is, how do we build a bigger table? Uh, one that doesn't sacrifice the core qualities that's made the Punisher endure for, uh, this is uh, the, the character's 50 year anniversary. Uh, but at oh, the same wow. time, does so in a way that existing Punisher fans can still find something to enjoy. People who have not read the character can find something to enjoy. People who have had a problem with the character can find something to enjoy. And uh, I, I really do believe that there's room at the table for everybody. And uh, I can tell you that Dave Wachter is doing uh, spectacular artwork. Um, this is one of, the, he and uh, colorist Dan Brown, this might be the most beautiful book I've done at Marvel to date. 
Um, oh, not wow. to say that it, it, it diminishes any of the intensity of it, but mm. um, Dave is just a powerhouse. Um, and uh, and he and Dan, uh, they play really nicely off of each other. So yeah, I can't wait for, for, for readers to check this out. Uh, we've put in a lot of work on this one. Um, this has been the longest development process of any project I've done at Marvel by a significant margin. Uh, and it's because we, we, we hashed it out from top to bottom because uh, we wanted to do it right. And so um, I'm very excited for readers to get to see what we're doing and uh, to really see all the, 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 the love and energy that, that we've been putting into this book. No, absolutely. Like, I That's mean, awesome. I was already sold when I heard when you were writing this book. Now, like, I, I need to get like multiple copies. Not that I was planning on doing that, but now. Please do. Like, <laughs> Don't let me oh, stop yeah. you. Oh, no, no. I mean, because, I mean, if you take a look from everything you've done with Marvel alone, let alone to the body of work that you have with Spencer and Locke and the OZ and Savage Avengers, yeah. which is a phenomenal read. And if you have not Thank picked you. that up, you need have, to go I'd get I've written that for 100 issues if the market uh, could sustain it. Uh, I love that book. Is my is is the best first book at Marvel I could have possibly asked for. Uh, oh yeah, the I, art, I, I, the art with that and Carlo Magno, like it just and and like now I'm like I'm greedy because I'm like I I'm hoping this series there's a cloak and dagger cameo because of how you wrote them because it was just picture <laughs> perfect. Oh thank you. Uh, no no plans currently, but uh, never say never. Um, uh, boy, I could probably. <laughs> I'm sure Tom uh, Braveheart would get a kick out of me being like, can I throw a cloak and dagger in somewhere? And he's like, I, I, again? Um, but yes, uh, I was the one that beat down the door asking for cloak and dagger. Uh, Thank I said, you. Uh, I said, uh, if you give me nobody else on this team, please give me cloak and dagger. And I, my editors had to be like, nobody's asking for cloak and dagger. You're fine if you want them. Uh, uh, yes, wanted them to be Avengers. For 15 <laughs> Who do years I need to email? I got my wish. Yeah, I was going to say, who do I need to email? Cloak and Dagger, yeah. I think, is like the most underrated duo in Marvel. And then how you in, brought uh, them. They're going to be in Rodney Barnes's uh, upcoming uh, Luke Cage, uh, uh, Gang War, City of oh, War. Oh, for Gang War. Uh, yeah, they're going to be in, in that Luke Cage series, I believe. Um, so uh, pick it up. Uh, yeah. I, I, I saw that on, on Rodney's Twitter today, and I was uh, very, very excited. Uh, big Cloak and Dagger fan uh, right here. No, absolutely. Like I, I'm, I'm right there with you. And how you wrote them on the team is just like I, I can't recommend that series enough. Like seriously, Savage Avengers, both volumes are must Thank reads. You. Thank so. you. Please do. Please order them at your local comic shop. My, my dog's kibble doesn't come cheap. Um, yep. So uh, yeah, um, you know, get some for for yourself, for your friends, for your families, for the holidays. Uh, yeah, Savage Avengers. I, 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 I loved writing that book, and uh, I'm so proud of the work that Carlos and I uh, were able to do on that together. Yeah, and that's why we have the QR code above me that says find your LCS. So you go down there and you make sure you go order that book. You go order Spencer and Locke. And then make sure especially to go down this Wednesday and pick up The Devil That Wears My Face. Because trust me, if you're not into horror, you're going to love the series. If you're into horror, you're going to absolutely love the series. And we're going to be talking about this for many, many months to come. Because like I say... This is a dynamic first issue that you will not be disappointed with when you pick this up, and you definitely need to make sure we are spreading the word to all the comic fans about this on New Comic Book Day tomorrow. Speaking of which, with New York coming up, how many uh, copies of this are you going to be bringing down to your table? Uh, boy, that is a good question. That uh, TBD. <laughs> I don't know. Um, uh, definitely, I'll be doing a, a signing on Friday at the Mad Cave Studios booth uh, with Alex Cormick. And our variant cover artist, Mon House. Uh, it'll be Friday the 13th at noon. 
at the Mad Cave Studios. Uh, definitely uh, make sure that uh, if you want some things signed for uh, for Devil That Wears My Face, definitely 100% be sure to stop by there. Um, I don't know how many copies my reps will have because uh, it'll be brand new um, and how many I'll be able to secure for my local shops here in L.A. Um, but, uh, yeah, I will be asking Mad Cave if I can uh, buy some copies off of them. Uh, so, uh, fingers crossed we'll have some at the Comic Sketch Art booth as well. I might have to uh, send a copy out your guys' way since uh, my birthday is next weekend and I'm not going to make it up. So I might have to do that for a little, little action. We'll talk off. We'll talk on the side because I'm going to yeah, we'll, we'll talk off there. Sure. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely figure something out for that. We'll figure something yeah. out for you. No problem. I'll yeah. put it in Ken's suitcase. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like I'm going to be coming out like this from New York Comic Con, but that's all right. That's, that's the beauty of going. So just add it on the list. We'll make that happen. David, thank you again for taking the time out to talk to us. And listen, audience, I can't scream this enough. Make sure you go to your comic shop tomorrow. Go pick this book up and go get some more of David's work. It's phenomenal. You won't be disappointed no matter what you pick up, no matter what you're a fan of. You need to go do it. We have his link in the liner notes for this uh, YouTube podcast episode. So we definitely want to make sure you're doing. And definitely we're locking you in to come back to talk to the OZ at least. If Please. not, uh, maybe we'll talk some Punisher. All right, absolutely. Yeah. Marty, thank you for taking the time out to talk to us. Why don't you tell everybody how they can find you and everything going on? Sure, thanks for having me again. Um, I'm at Marty Stoked on all social media platforms, all 855,471 of them now because <laughs> everybody comes up with a new one every day. And uh, you can catch me on Nerd Initiative writing comic reviews. Absolutely. Matt, why don't you let everybody know how to find you? Same. All those nice social media sites, you know, Hops Geek News and uh, shameless plug for Savage Avengers. If you want to hear David talk a little bit about it, he was on the show, I believe it was back in May. So uh, come follow us. Come check out that interview. It was a lot of fun. It was great in getting to chat down, sit down and chat again, of course. And uh, man, I'm I'm really, really, really pumped to uh, get my hands on the Punisher and uh, anything and everything that you touch. Because if you're sleeping on David any of his writings right now you're you're missing out on a lot of great stories thank you buddy i really appreciate it i, I appreciate all the support and for everybody listening uh thank you um you know it, it really takes a village to to get any success in this industry i, I feel so fortunate uh for the work that i've been able to do and the and, and the publishers i've been able to work for it i think it's because i've had a real a village of, of readers retailers and press that have been supporting me every step of the way so um, i'm grateful and just know that your support uh it keeps me getting up every day and then uh, make sure that I, I, I take my biggest swings possible. Absolutely. Tom, put the thing on the thing. There you go. You can find me there. All the socials, all the reviews, all the put things to talk about, all my pictures of my cats right there on the social media is off the cuff time everywhere. You know, Absolutely. And for anything and everything that is the ODPH, you can find it at odphpodcast.com. You can hit the QR code. Or better yet, remember, tomorrow is new comic book day as we're recording. And if you need to know what to pick up at the comic shops, simple. You swing on over to nerdinitiative.com, 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, and reviews are dropping every hour on the hour of the picks of the week. If we're not talking about it, you you don't need to pick it up, but that's why we're saying right now, this is the official kickoff right now. That's why you need the devil wears, the wears my face. You need this book tomorrow. We can't Facts. scream it enough. So this is the official kickoff to new comic book day. Cause if you don't have this next week, we will be talking to you all on social media about this, that you've made a grave error and you need to go fix this and you need to go buy an extra. If copy you don't buy it, Legion will literally day. come to your house and possess you next. So 
absolutely you possess all of your Ooh. your toddler children and make them never go to sleep so <laughs> yes and as always thank you for listening and watching nerd initiatives turn a page and remember when you're at the comic shops and you have a great issue in your hand and you see somebody struggling to pick one up remember hand yours off to them and tell them to turn a page we'll see you next time